after the resurrection and after the birth of Jesus, these have to be my two favorite words ever spoken by an angel. Angel words. And here's what it says right after the resurrection of Jesus. In Mark 16, 7, the Bible says that the angel said, but go tell his disciples and Peter. Those two words have to be some of the most exciting words to me in all of the New Testament. Think about that. Mark 16, 7, those two words, and Peter. Those two words, listen carefully, those two words mean that we get a second chance with God. Think of this for a moment. Because you would think of those words, go tell the disciples and Peter, anything could have been said there. Go tell his disciples and Pontius Pilate that I'm risen from the dead. Go tell the disciples and Herod that my word came true. Go tell the disciples and John, or go tell the disciples and my mother that I'm back. But these were not words of appreciation. These are not words of I told you so. These two words are words of restoration. Words of a second chance to, deny, to a man who denied Jesus three times. His denials had cursing and lies involved with them. And the angel said after the most important event in human history, go tell Peter that he gets to get up to bat again, that Peter gets another shot. Folks, I don't know about you, but how many could use another shot today with God? How many, let me just tell you, he's not just the God of second chances. How many know he's the God of a thousand chances that he just always does this? I want to tell you Peter's second chance story. It's the story after the resurrection. So appropriate since what happened last week of Resurrection Sunday. But before I get to his story that took place in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, let me make the story of a second chance a little bit closer. That wasn't 2,000 years ago, but a story that happened 30 miles away and 150 years ago. Some of you are sitting in this place today are, are, are recipients of what this man has done. Thomas Edison was working on a crazy contraption that has changed the world. It was called the light bulb. And it took a team of, 20, of men 24 straight hours just to put one of those light bulbs together. And when Edison was finished, he gave it to a young boy who was to take it upstairs in his lab in Menlo, New Jersey, up the stairs to put it in a vacuum machine. Step, step by step, that young man cautiously watched his hands as he got to the top of the stairs with this priceless piece of, of, of work that took 24 hours to put together. And when he got to the top of the stairs, some of you already know what happens. He dropped it. He dropped what has been worked on and what you are recipients of. He dropped it. And it took the entire team of men another 24 hours, stayed up for 48 hours to put the second light bulb together. After being tired, ready for a break, Edison was about to get that bulb up the stairs and into the machine. And guess who he gave it to? That young boy again. The same boy who dropped it, he said, you get a second chance. And he made it to the top this time. See, think about this. What you've worked on all your life that changed the world, dropped by a kid and destroyed in a moment, and he gives it right back to him. Let me just tell you this. Jesus had a light bulb kid, and his name was Peter. And the light bulb would be the church, 
and the kid's name was Peter and his stair drop that he dropped the bulb was when he would deny Jesus three times at the most critical moment of the Savior's life. And after the resurrection, Jesus finds Peter and is about to give him the light bulb again and say, you can do this. And that's why I want to talk to you today just for a moment. I want to talk to you a message and encourage you today for all who fall. I want to speak to those that are in that category. See, Acts 2 is the birthday of the church. And Jesus is about to entrust this day to that light bulb kid, Peter. The light bulb carrier gets a second chance. And his top of the steps verse is in Acts 2.14 when the Bible says, and Peter stood up and began to preach in Acts 2.14. That's him, second chance at the top of the stairs. Think about this. Peter was now standing in the city preaching Jesus where days earlier in that same city he buckled and denied Jesus. And God goes, Peter, you get a second chance and preaches his first sermon. 3,000 people come, come to the Lord and are born again that day. I have to tell you, I have failed God so many times and I'm so thankful he gives another chance every single time. But you know what makes God so amazing? It's not just his forgiveness after a failure, but God trusts us after failure. That's the part that amazes me about God. Think of this verse on how what David says in Psalm 103. Think of these words from the message. If you, God, kept records of wrongdoings, who would stand a chance? I love this part. As it turns out, forgiveness is your habit. That's why we worship you today. Thank God for not only his forgiveness, but that he trusts us even again. I love the words that our 16th president, Abraham Lincoln, said. He said, my great concern is not whether you fail, but whether you're content in your failure. That's the issue today. Jesus was making sure that Peter wasn't content with being a failure. See, think about this. Who knows how many have failed friendships that are sitting in this place today? Failed relationships, failed marriages, failed career choices. And here's the part I want you to understand today. Failure is part of everyone's life. Everyone does it. Everyone experiences it. But getting up from failure, everyone doesn't do that. And see, failure isn't final until you quit. And I'm telling you, if God is in your life, you don't have to quit today. He is there for you today. And that's why I want to encourage you. I was reading an article in the New York Times some time ago about Scott Hamilton, the gold medal winner of the, the 1984 Olympics of ice skating. His wife, Tracy, and four children. They have two adopted children from Haiti. Mark Hamilton was, Scott Hamilton, was a great Christian and a follower of Christ, but then through success, dropped the light bulb, blew it, knees buckled with success and money. And he, in fact, he started mocking God and says, I go to the church of Scott now, is what he said. And then when his life hit rock bottom, he began to realize the only place I can go back to is Jesus himself. And, I, and I'm reading his story, and I love what he said in this article. He said this, he said, I calculated how many times I fell during my skating career. 41,600 times. But I got up all 41,600 times. 
And he goes, that's the muscle you have to build in you. That one that reminds you to get up. And if you don't have that muscle in you, I'm telling you, there is a God that's going to speak to you today and say you can get up even if you failed 41,600 times. There are light bulb people all over this place. There are light bulb, but God gives chances over and over again. David is one of them. Listen to David's light bulb verse, and this is what I love. He says in Psalm 145, 14, the Lord sustains, and here's my favorite phrase, all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. I love that phrase. The Lord sustains all who fall. I don't know about you, but I'm part of the all in the all who fall. Anybody else with me in that same group? I'm part of that group. All who fall. 41,600 times. And I hear the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, get up again. Get up and let me not only forgive you, but let me trust you again. This is an amazing verse of God's commitment that he would sustain us. I love, one of my friends said this to me before. He says, in a healthy family, you not only can succeed well, but you can also fail well. Which means failure is not final. Because in, in, a, in a healthy family, If you only celebrate the victories and you never help people through the failures, it's a dysfunctional family. And God help us as a church that we can only celebrate when good things happen, but don't know how to bring restoration when people fall. Because we're all part of that group, all who fall. You know who's another person in that all group that I was reading in the Bible? Is Moses. Think about this. The Ten Commandments the most important document in human history other than the Bible gives us a moral compass. It's an incredible, it's an incredible document. These 10 commandments that, that, that is the foundation of morality and culture all over the world, respected, revered, and even honored. And many people live by them. Think about that. Moses gave us the 10 commandments. I have to pause for a second and tell you my favorite 10 commandments story. I was reading the story of a Sunday school teacher who was discussing the Ten Commandments in Sunday school with her five and six-year-old. And after explaining the commandment to honor thy father and thy mother, she asked the class, is there a commandment that teaches us how to treat our brothers and our sisters? And without missing a beat, one little boy raised his hand and said, yes, there is. Thou shalt not kill. He says, that's the way you deal with your brother and your sister. You can't see the original Commandments, the original tablets. Can't go to the Smithsonian and you can't go to Cairo, Egypt. You know why? Because Moses broke them. Moses threw them down in a fit of anger, like a kid dropping a light bulb, like Peter who denied Jesus. You can't see the Ten Commandments because in a fit of rage, when his own brother built a golden calf, Moses took those tablets and threw them down in a heated moment. And then... These words stood out to me. Look at this. Deuteronomy 10.2. God says, I will write the tablets, on the tablets, the words that were on the former tablets, which you shattered. You know what God was saying? I'll write them again, even though you blew it. Think of that. God would do it again. Instead of saying, now you got nothing. That's what most of our parents would say. This is why we can't have nice things. This is why we can't have 10 commandments because you throw them down. It's amazing. And God says, I will write it. You shattered it, but I'll fix it for you. 
Think of it for a second. You may be sitting in this place. Those that are watching online, whether you're from Malaysia or the Philippines, whether you're watching from Ireland, think of this. What have you shattered in your life? And I'm telling you, let God put it back together again. Let God take what maybe you blew. Maybe you shattered a marriage and you crushed it into pieces. Maybe you shattered your parents by some poor decisions that you made. But I'm here to tell you, to all who fall, there is a God that can restore you today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, in the Christian walk, God has a safety clause for all us failures. Here it is. The steps of a good man are directed by the Lord. He delights in each step they take. But if between Easter Sunday and the next Sunday, if they fall, it isn't fatal. For the Lord holds them with his hands. Hallelujah. Think about that. If they fall, or can we just put in there, when they fall, it's not fatal. I remember when we used to live in Queens and we used to have to make a mild walk to the subway. And I remember on one snowy, icy day holding my youngest daughter's hand going to the subway and, and the, the sidewalks have yet to been, be iced. And what, remember, I remember her slipping on that. But because my grip was on her, I wouldn't let her fall. She was slipping, but she wouldn't fall. And that's why what I realized was this. It wasn't her footing. It was the Lord's hand. It was not her Lord, her father's hand that was on her. What made me think this, it's not your grip on God, but it's his grip on you that provides the safety. See, when that old song goes, hold to God's unchanging hand, I have to tell you, I love the song, but I hate the theology because I don't have a good enough grip on God. It's God holding on to our hand. It's God's grip on us who sustains all evil. That's exactly what God did. He took Peter by the hand. And in John 21, I want to just take the next few minutes to talk to you on how God began to take that young, that young man by his hand. It's the story of shattering the, 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 all that you've worked for for three years, shattering it all, and God putting the pieces back together. And that's what I think happens. I think when I fall, when you fall, when we fall, there's two things that happen. And I want to just give them to you today. And I want you to get ready just to jot some things down. Because when two things happen, there's two things that God does. There'll be an encounter and there'll be an investment. A Jesus encounter and a Jesus investment. I want to explain it to you because I want to show you how God begins to put the pieces together, why God had his hand on Peter more than Peter had his hand on Jesus. And here's what I want to just talk to you about for the next few moments, that encounter and that investment. You'll see it clearly as we read John 21, which is the, is the entrusting. It's the, not only the forgiveness, but the trust again. Look at this with me in John 21. This is what happens after the resurrection. This is after Easter Sunday. This is the Jesus encounter. So let me read it to you in John chapter 21. Here it comes. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. This is, this is over a week after the resurrection. He manifested himself in this way. Look at verse two. This is amazing. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel of Canaan in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. 
They said to him, we will also come with you. They went out, got into a boat, and I love this phrase, and that night they caught nothing. Okay, stay with me for a second. You know what the craziest phrase on this, on this verse is, on this, of this Jesus encounter? It's this thing. Look at 21.1. After these things. But what do you mean, Pastor Tim? What things? It was the things of John chapter 20, of what just took place. Peter said these words after what just took place in John chapter 20. 21.1 says, after these things. 21.3 says, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Think about this. After these things, Simon Peter, he sees and witnesses all this stuff and says in 21.3, I'm going fishing. What was the things that Peter saw in, 20, in chapter 20? He saw an empty tomb and went into the tomb. He saw Mary overcome with motion and clinging to Jesus. He saw Jesus walking through walls. You can read all this in John 20. He saw Jesus walking through walls. He saw Jesus commissioning them to tell the whole world the gospel. And he saw his fellow disciple, Thomas, go from doubting to believing that Jesus is God. Shouldn't the next phrase of 21.1 say, after these things, Peter preached. After these things, Peter went to church. Or after these things, Peter began to worship. You would think that. No, Peter saw the resurrected Jesus and got his tackle box. See, Jesus told him, you're going to be a fisher of men, but Peter ends up being a fisher of fish. Think of that for just a moment. After these things, you would say, I'm going fishing. And here's the part I need you to hear today. There is a difference between an event and an encounter. Stay with me for a moment. Peter saw a lot, but went back to his old way of life. Some of you sat here last week and saw all that was going on and went back to business as usual on Monday and went back to an old way of living. See, because emotions wear off after an event. High emotions can come down when you walk outside these doors and it's so easy to reset to a normal way of life. That's what happens after a church event, but it can't happen that way after a Jesus encounter. Hey, listen, I, at 19 years old, is where I first learned to preach every single week. It wasn't in a church. It wasn't from a pulpit. But it was in Detroit at 19 when I went up for a missions trip and they put me in a prostitution hotel and said, that's your Bible study every Thursday night. And at 19 years old, I'd walk in at 7.05 every Thursday night with a Bible and wait for them to come down from this prostitution hotel. Did it for five years. That's where I learned to preach. That's where I learned to fast. That's where I learned to believe in the protection of God. It was in that prostitution hotel. And at 7.05, you would see all these pimps and prostitutes and drug dealers come down at 7.05 with their stolen Gideon Bibles. And they'd come to this Bible study. And all of them would come at 7.05 because they'd wait to get the lottery numbers at 7 o'clock, hoping they're going to hit the three-digit or the seven-digit number. So they were coming down, gambling, lying, and then they would show up and see me at that point. And I can tell you in five years of preaching, we would see probably a dozen times of people that would be in that Bible study 
who would die of a drug overdose, who was murdered on the streets of Detroit. And when that would happen, the numbers would swell in that Thursday night Bible study. And it was amazing. When time went on, it would just go back down. Because events can literally capture people's emotions, but it doesn't change their lives. It doesn't change them. Why? Because we forget life goes on. To Peter, the event of John 20 is done, and now it's Monday. He's thinking it was a good run. This Jesus thing for three years was great. Glad he's back to life. But for Peter, it seemed like an event. See, events don't change us. A personal encounter with Jesus is the only thing that can change us. For Peter to say, I'm going fishing in 21.3. See, to us, fishing was, is a hobby. Fishing to Peter was an old way of life. I'm going fishing is strong words. I, I want you to know how persuasive Peter is. Not only does he say, I, I am going fishing. He brings seven other people with him. Seven others. That's how persuasive Peter is. And here's what's amazing. When you start to see that the John 20 didn't, it didn't change him. Do you know what changed Peter? was a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Jesus. It wasn't the events. I saw an empty tomb. I watched my brother go from doubting to believing. I watched Mary cling on to him. I watched Jesus, John 20, walk through a wall into our meeting in an upper room, and still he says, I'm going fishing, which means you can sit in a church service, experience an event, and never have an encounter with Jesus. I want you to think about that. Think, I don't care what church you go to. I don't care what denomination you're part of. You, can't, you have not seen what Peter has seen. Empty tomb, Mary clinging to him, Jesus walking through walls, a brother going from doubting to believe all in one chapter and still says, I'm going fishing. I'm, it's great, but I'm going back to an old way of life. This is what happens. I want you to see this. That, that, that's why this encounter is key. Listen to John 21 verse 4. But when the day was now breaking, here comes the encounter. It's moving from an event of 20 to a one-on-one -on -one encounter. Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, you don't have any fish, do you? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll find a catch. So they cast it. They were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. And therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And so when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on for he was stripped for work, threw himself into the sea. Think about this. But the other disciples came into the little boat, which means I can't wait to row back. I'm swimming back to him. For they were not far from land, but a hundred yards. Folks, think about that. Not far from land. You just swam a hundred yards. I'm not doing that. But about 100 yards, dragging the net full of fish, Jesus said, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him. Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and the fish likewise. And this was the third time that Jesus manifested himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And here it comes, verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, here comes the encounter. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He is now about to get an encounter with Jesus. How do you know? Here it comes, folks. How do you know 
if your experience is an event or an encounter with Jesus. I think there's one thing that determines it, that determines whether you go back to just fishing or whether you go on and take the next steps. And here's what it is. This is how you know the difference between an event and an encounter. Because the next step after an encounter with Jesus is one word. Here it comes. It's obedience. That's what happens. Because if you can leave a Sunday service and go back to a normal way of life, you had an event. But if all of a sudden you go, something changed inside of me. I'm telling you, then you're saying, God, I want to be obedient to you. Let me just tell you this, because obedience is the best way to determine that. See, if it's an event, hey, get this now. If it's an event, you're just going to videotape it with a phone and post it. If it's an encounter, you're going to fall on your knees and say, I want to do whatever you ask me to do. Let me say that again. If it's an event, you'll just sit there like this. And if it's an encounter, you'll be on your knees going, God, what do you want me to do? And what are you asking me to do? Can I just tell some of you for a moment here? Because this is what's important. It, right after this service, we're going to ask you to join us up in the, in the annex. That as soon as Freddie leads that last song, our ushers will, will, will bring you up. We'll have about 70 plus that will, be, that will be water baptized in this one. And then after the one o'clock. But some of you are sitting here today. But even, listen, even online. Because we're going to be baptizing people in person and online. The flat screen TV is going to be um, put up there. And there's going to be people baptized from the Philippines to the UK, from Canada, Indiana, and Florida, and California. At the 1 o'clock, you're going to see on the big screen, you're going to see on the flat screen, we're baptizing a whole family of four people that are getting baptized together while we baptize at 1 o'clock. But see, but see, to them, it was an obedience step. Because they're going like, hey, this is not something simply to video. This is something I want to obey. Because if you're sitting here today and you are born again, always remember this. Water baptism doesn't change you. It's a step of obedience because you are saved. That water will, I'm telling you, we have two tanks up there. That water will not change you. It is not from Israel it's not from Jordan. It's good old New York water in that tent. And I'm telling you, you better pray before you get in that New York water. That's why you better be born again before you get in that water. Water baptism is a step of obedience. And if you're sitting here today, I want to give you a challenge and you've not been water baptized, we've got everything up there for you to get water baptized. You can go up there and you can go, oh no, I gotta get home. I'm telling you, then don't let church become an event. Let it become an encounter with the living Jesus himself. Take the step of obedience. We've got everything up there. We've got change of clothes. We've got towels. We've got everything. And for some of you, you're going like, this is the time I need to do it. Let me just tell you this. I pray for all the wheelchair people. We have wheelchair people that come in from Accessoride. We pray for them every single time. You don't even have to let wheelchairs be. Some of you are going like, are you going to put my wheelchair in the tank? No. We'll dump a bucket of water over you and get you all set. I've done that many times to wheelchair people. I've taken a bucket of water, dumped over, and I said in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit wipe down the wheelchair and said, you're water baptized today. Listen, don't let anything be a hindrance to you. Well, I'm here with my family. Tell them, get, get on the F train. I'm getting water baptized. I'm getting water baptized today. A Jesus 
a Jesus encounter brings us to obedience. It doesn't simply allow us to, listen, I'm not against videotaping something and posting it. What I am against is if you think that you had an encounter when you just came to an event. An An encounter with Jesus will say, God, what do you want me to do next? What do you want me to do next? But then, and finally, it's the Jesus investment in him. This is the part that, I, that, that is emotional to me because this is such an important part. I have, the best way I can explain it is this. Um, my first car, my dad, my, my dad bought me. Now, it, trust me, it, what, what I wanted and what he gave to me, two totally opposite things. Here was my first car. For us older people, it was a Ford LTD. If you don't know what it is, it's about the size of the sanctuary. It's huge. How many remember the, the, it had the, the, the long seats? There was no bucket seats, and, and you had to move up together in the car. And if you didn't, the car, sometimes it would get on an angle, and you go like, you have to move together in unity, is what you did. LTD Brome. My first new car that I've ever owned was... 27 years old, and it was, a, it was a lease. It was a lease. And I remember walking in, and the very first time I ever had a new car, it was a two-year lease, and I can only drive 12,000 miles a year. I was so excited. I think I drove 12,000 miles that day. But if you returned it after two years with more miles, you had to pay for that. There is a difference between leasing and owning. Calvary, the cross, and the resurrection was a transaction for you. God was purchasing your life, not leasing your life, by laying down his life. Let me say that again. When he died for you and shed his blood, he wasn't leasing you to show up on Sundays He was purchasing you that you would be his possession forever. Listen listen to 1 Corinthians 6.19. You don't belong to yourself any longer. For the gift of God, the Holy Spirit, lives inside you, the sanctuary of God. You were God-expensive purchase, paid for with tears of blood. So by all means, then, use your body to bring glory to God. See, when you own something... There are no conditions. I, don't, I can drive 12,000 miles anytime I want to do it. But here's the thing. Peter it forgot. Peter is an owned man, but he's acting like he's leased. I did. It's Peter going, I did the three-year lease plan with Jesus, discipled and all. My 12,000 miles are done. And Peter in John 21.3 says, I'm going fishing. That's lease talk. You're owned by him. He died for you, resurrected for you. An encounter says, I want to be obedient. You don't, listen, let me say it to you this way. Here's what some of you live by. Here's your lease, your Jesus lease plan. Jesus, you get 52 days a year. That's on Sunday, but only 90 minutes. If it goes longer than that, I'm going to get up. Well, that's what, and and I'll show up on time or at least do my best, but I'm off on holidays and God forbid if it rains or is windy outside. But let me just tell you something. That's leasing, not ownership. He doesn't get 52 days. He gets 24 seven. He 
owns us. He purchased us. He died for us and he rose from the dead for us. Christianity is ownership, not a leasing package. You are God's property and he is committed to what he owns and he's not going to lose you to failure. He's not going to lose you to failure. <laughs> I was reading the story in 1937, the famous Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco was completed. The entire project cost the U.S. government $77 million. But during the process, the first half of the bridge, 23 workers fell off the bridge into the San Francisco Bay and died. 23 workers. So they came up with this plan, and in 1937, they constructed a $100,000 net under the bridge that said, if you fall while you're working, there's a net that will catch you. $100,000. It said not only did they build it faster, nobody died because underneath there was a safety net. See, after you get saved, you've got a safety net. You know what it is? The blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. That means as I walk with God, this is to all who fall. To all who fall, there is a net called the blood of Jesus. It didn't cost $100,000, but it cost the Son of God his very life. This is what it says in 1 John 2.1. You are my dear children, and I write these things to you that so you won't sin. But if anyone does sin, we have a forgiving Redeemer. Hallelujah. One version says an advocate, one that goes for us. That's the safety net. You may be sitting here today going, I can't get water baptized because I failed this week. You're part of the all who fall. You shattered the commandments. I'll rewrite them. You dropped the light bulb, Peter, but I'm going to have you preach on the day of Pentecost. This is what's amazing. That's the kind of God that we serve today. Let me give you one last verse as we close. It, it, as I'm reading through the book of Proverbs, it has to be the, most, the strangest description of a righteous man that I've ever seen. It's the strangest description of why the Bible would call this person a righteous man. Let me read it to you. It's Proverbs 24, 16. A righteous man, what? What does he do? It, let, let's... A righteous man falls seven times, but rises up again. Folks, let, let, me just, let me just pause for a second about that word seven times. That does not mean you get seven failures and then you're out. Let me tell you what that is. That's, that is an, a, a, a Hebraic expression, which means you can fall a bunch. The, to fall seven times simply means you're going to mess up a lot. Remember when they said to the three Hebrew children, when, when Nebuchadnezzar goes, hey, heat up that furnace. You remember what it says? Seven times hotter. There wasn't a dial that was going like, okay, six, seven, yeah, seven. That wasn't it. You know what seven meant? Seven meant the hottest you can get it. Oh, get it hotter than it's ever been. And this is what it says. A righteous man, righteous man is going to fall a bunch of times. And here's what I love, folks. 
That verse says to me this, a righteous man is not defined by his fallen, but is defined if he gets back up again. But, but here's the part that we have, to, we have to define. Let's define the most important word of this. And it's this word, righteous. See, when we hear that word righteous, we think righteous means never falling or perfection. <laughs> Not according to this verse. That man's falling seven times. See, what does that word righteous mean? Let me just give it to you like this. Righteous is how God sees me consistently. On my good days, and on my falling days, when I'm dropping light bulbs and when I'm shattering 10 commandments, it doesn't change if I'm righteous or not. Failure, it's not God going, you're righteous because you're in church today. Oh, we got on the F train and oh, there was, I, I, I know what the F train is like. And you're on there, you're going like, oh my goodness. Oh, they didn't get my coffee right. At Starbucks, I can't believe that. It's just, like, and all of a sudden God goes, no, 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 you're not righteous. Today. That's not what it's saying. A righteous man will fall, but will rise up every single time. See, my rising is not me, but it's another hand that raises me up because I am his child. It's God walking with me every day as I walk with Lauren to the subway. And when the slipping comes, he sustains all who fall. He grips hold of them. He holds on. Not my grip on him, his grip on me. That's what changes everything. Righteous is a position. Righteous is a term that you become part of God's family. I read a story of a father that needed to catch the 805 train and he was running late. He had two young children, two and three years old. And I was reading this crazy story that as he was rushing out of the front door of his house, his three-year-old was playing in mud in the front. And as he gets out, he slips and lands in the mud. And quickly he gets up and he brushes himself off and it has to go, I'm going, I, it doesn't matter. Dirt and everything, but I got to catch this 805 train. But what was amazing was as he was running down the block to catch the train, the 805 train, his kid never moved from the mud. Why? Because his kid loved the mud. It was, that's, 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 that's kids. See, the fundamental difference between the boy and the father is the boy loved the dirt was playing in the dirt and comfortable in the dirt. The father slipped in the dirt, but the father had a train to catch and realized, I can't stay there. I gotta get up because I gotta catch this 805 train. I can't stay down here. Folks, this is what I wanna tell you. Some of you for many years have been comfortable in a spot and all of a sudden you're feeling something inside of you because there's an encounter happening with Jesus today that says I'm no longer comfortable there. I've got to get out of this. I've got to move on. Oh, there is a train to catch. You know what your 805 is? Your 805 to train is, is you got to get to heaven. You got to get things right in your life. You got to get to Jesus on this. And instead of just sitting there in a seat in the position you're at, some of you are in a place going like, I don't want to stay in this route. I don't want to stay in this place anymore. I'm not comfortable here. I need an encounter with Jesus. 
a church and a denomination just coming to Times Square Church will not change you. Those that are watching online, you can watch every single week. You can watch the Tuesday night service. You can watch Pastor Carter on Wednesday night as we lead the worldwide prayer meeting. You can send in your requests. And, and as that, as at, from our summit campus, as they're beginning to pray, and those students at our summit campus, and as Pastor Carter is preaching, you can watch that. But if there is not an encounter with Jesus... You can see your prayers answered online. You can see, you can be here today and say, I feel really good being here today. And it just simply become an event on a phone. But when there's an encounter, you say, I've got to get up out of this mess. I have a place to go. I want to go into eternity today. That's the most important thing is, do you want to be forgiven? Do you want to be born again? And do you want to live forever with God? That's the question. Then you can have an encounter with Jesus today. I want, I want you to listen to me today because this is the most important question you can, anyone can ever ask you. And it's this. Have you been born again? Have you been born again? Why is that important, Pastor Tim? It's, it's what Jesus said, that in order to catch that train to heaven, in order to spend eternity in heaven, be forgiven here, to have Jesus change you from now and forever, it's not I'm in church or I had communion or I was water baptized. It's I was born again. That's where it starts. I can't sit here any longer like that kid. I've got to get up. I've got to change my life. I want God to change. I've been trying to hold on to religion instead of realizing it's God holding on to me. Jesus said, no one can see the kingdom of heaven unless they are born again. Those are Jesus's words. It's the most important question you can never answer. Have you been born again? Well, Pastor Tim, what does that look like? Why did Jesus call it being born again? Jesus was saying this, just as you had a first birth physically, many of you in a hospital, you need a second birth spiritually. It's God coming and changing you from the inside out. How does that happen, Pastor Tim? It is as simple as ABC. It's A, admitting that I'm a sinner. It's when I get honest with God that all of us have a condition called sin. It can't be fixed by a promise, a pastor, a priest, a program. There's not a synagogue or a mosque that can fix it. I have a problem. It's called sin. I'm broken on the inside. I'm not a mistake or in need of correction. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I don't need a second chance. I need a second birth. And that's what he's come to do. How does that happen? It's the B word, believe. A is admitting I'm a sinner. B, believing. That God sent his son to fix my sin, sinful condition. I can't fix myself. You can make all the promises you want. You can show up here every single time and it's just an event. But you need an encounter. An encounter with God. If we could fix ourselves then why would God have to ascend his son that we just celebrated last week to die on the cross and resurrect? If God said the way you get to heaven is you got to be a good person and you got to go to church and you got to be religious and you can't hurt anybody, then why would God have to send his son? He sent his son because we couldn't fix ourselves. You, it, the, the best person in this place still can't get himself to heaven. Only Jesus can get us to heaven today. He died the death that I was supposed to die. He died for me, lived the life that I was expected to live, but I couldn't live it. He lived for me, and he gave me a reward, heaven and forgiveness that I didn't deserve. 
and giving it to us today. And finally, it's confessing Jesus as Lord. Confessing him. A, admitting. B, believing. C, confessing him. Confess. That word Lord is such an important word. Because Jesus didn't die on the cross to simply lease you. He died because he owns us. He didn't die to say, I need them 52 days a week to sit in a seat in a sanctuary. That's not why he died. His goal was not to get you to church. His goal was to get you to heaven for eternity. And today that can happen. Today that can happen. Coming to church on Sundays once a week, that's religion. Walking with Jesus every single day, that's relationship. That's what he's come to do. That's why Christianity is not coming to a place. It's coming to a person. And when you say you are Lord, it doesn't mean you get to talk to me for 90 minutes on a Sunday. It means you can talk to me anytime you want. That's what relationship is. You don't just come to church going like, okay, God, whatever you want to say, you got 90 minutes to say something. When you walk with God every single day, I'm telling you, like the old hymn says, he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. That's what he's come to do today. It's literally to be born again is stepping into a relationship and saying you are Lord, Romans 10, 9, and 10, which means you are the boss now. You got veto rights. And that's why today, that can change for you today. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? Those that are watching online from around New York City and around the country and around the world, it's the most important decision. If you're a Christian here today, you pray. And if you've never made this decision to be born again, I want to make it as simple as I can today because this is the most important question that you have to answer. If you're here today, balcony, main floor, watching online, I, I want to pray a prayer, a born-again prayer today. And if you're sitting here today with every head bowed and every eye closed, and if you're here and say, Pastor, I want, I want to be included in that. I want a Jesus encounter today. I'm not just interested in coming to a, an event called a church service. I want an encounter with God, whether you're watching online or watching right here. And you're going, I, I, I want an encounter with him. How do I do it? Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you're sitting here today, watching online and say, when you pray that born again prayer, would you include me in that? I'm not going to make you stand. I'm not going to make you walk forward. We have some protocol for COVID right now. And I know that some of that stuff is lifting and we're going to get to that um, in the coming months. But right now, if you're here with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're watching online and you say, Pastor Tim, when you pray that born again prayer, I want to be included. I want to be born again today. Would you put me in that prayer today without any hesitation? If that's you, I'll be the one that's looking right now. If you say, put me in that prayer today, I want that Jesus encounter. I want to be born again without any hesitation. That's you. Would you just hold up your hand and say, pray for me. Put me in that prayer. Hold it up as high as you can because I want to make sure I see every hand that's in this place. I'm going to make sure because I'm going to count them and I want to make sure I see them. There's one, two, three, four, five, six. Keep them up. Seven. 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. Keep them up. 20, 21, 22. And balcony, let me make sure I see everybody that has their hand. 23, I want to make sure I see every hand that's up in this place. 24, all the way in the back. Got you right there. 25, 26, 27. Thank you. You can put your hands down right now. Thank God for all those. And if you're watching online... Would you just text the word decided right now? Just text the word, I'm sorry. Would you just put in the chat, 
that I have decided I want to be born again. Just put it right in there. Come on, folks, with these 27 hands that went up today, can we all pray this together? Let's say this together. Come on, say this with me out loud. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me, so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, say this with me now. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my Helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Come on, put your hands together. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. And be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.